All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode 11 of season two. I am here, as always, with the man who just got off the phone with Coach O to tell him he doesn't care how many guys are injured. He cannot play scout team linebacker at LSU practice today. My buddy, Thomas Bowen. How are you, bud? You know, I'm doing all right, but I'm really I'm really not a big fan of you with the lead-in because you get such a good setup to just just put me on a platter like that. So we need to switch it up a little bit. I'll let you I'll let you do the jump in the next time. All right. You can throw right. you can throw some at me. But I don't know if you heard that or not. Uh uh Ogeron said today that they did not have enough healthy players to have a normal practice at LSU today. Whew, I did not hear that. So are we are we at the the stage at the end of a coach's tenure where, where guys are opting out? Are these legit injuries, column A, column B? Uh, you know, it's a it's a mixed bag. I would bet I bet guys whose ankles and backs and knees and shoulders, you know, hurt a little bit are a little bit less likely and and, and uh, you know less willing to go out there and tough it out at practice um, with what's going on around them. So yeah, it could be a little bit of both. Um, but leads us into our, you know, I've, I've kind of renamed this segment. It's in honor of one of my nieces, Emery, Emery Ockberger, uh, and her new brother, Penn, and uh, their football-loving mom, uh, Carlene Ockberger. But Emery has these little sayings, Thomas, and sometimes she just says, what the world? Instead of what in the world, it's what the world. So when we talk <laughs> about last football Saturday, what the world happened? Because it was chaos. Yeah, yeah, definitely some chaos. You know, I, I saw, and and particularly for as as I said last week, going into a, a, a seeds and stems type of weekend, as Heath Klein likes to call them. Uh, at least we got a little bit of entertainment. Finally, got to see that horseshoe fall out of Clemson. That's right. Um, so I was I was wrong on that pick um, uh, last week, but. You know, and then I think we saw honestly from from the from the walloping that South Carolina took in College Station. Mm. I think uh, that's said a lot about South Carolina. I know we're going to dig into that a little bit, but I think it said a lot about the kind of the the tone of the rest of the season for South Carolina. Yeah, definitely. We'll jump into that in just here in a second. But you know, you had the Penn State game that went nine overtimes. Uh, still, only a, what was it a nineteen eighteen ball game after nine overtimes? Yeah. Yeah, like just just insanely low scoring out in the Big Ten there. Um, uh, who else went down? Oregon State. Went, or no, I'm sorry. Oklahoma State went down, and they were had you know pretty high ranking going there. And so, you know, some teams that maybe could have put themselves in a driver's seat type situation, or at least been in the conversation, kind of fell flat there. So Thomas alluded to it. You know, South Carolina mercifully is on a bye this weekend but because at the end of the day we are Gamecock fans and I would venture a guess that the majority of our listeners are Gamecock fans we're going to touch on the Gamecocks really quickly before we jump into our two games of the week this week and the Clemson game so Thomas you know you 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 hit the nail on the head it was abysmal in College Station um and I said this to you I think in a text message my biggest thing right now is we're making new mistakes. You know, it'd be one thing if if picking up blitzing linebackers and that sort of thing that we had really struggled with all season were the only issues in College Station. 
We had awful snaps. We had all kinds of Keystone Cop-esque plays. And quite honestly, you know, respect to everybody here, but just didn't look like a well-coached football team. And at the end of the day, you know, this is me as a fan. I'm just going to be honest here. I have lost all confidence in the offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, in the offensive line coach, Coach Atkins. And honestly, and this isn't because of anything these guys have done in particular, but just injuries, the quarterback position. You know, Doty is, is done. Zeb has had a minor uh, knee scope, and that's, um, you know, supposedly he's going to be healthy, but those things heal slower than sometimes than they expect. Speaking of knee surgeries, shout out to my dad. Dad, get better soon. Had knee surgery last week. Um, but, and the other thing is, I mentioned the mistakes. This unit is going backwards. There, I don't see it. Not only do I not see improvement, I see regression. Thomas, what are, what are your big takeaways? You know, it's, uh, you're spot on. It's, honestly, we've, we've both seen a lot of very bad South Carolina football over the years. We both remember the Owen whatever years and, and everything through the beginning of the Holtz era and the end of the Brad Scott era and all, all of that in between. But Saturday in College Station may have been the worst offensive performance I can remember out of South Carolina football. It was, it was very, very bad. Um, like you said, it, it just, it looked like a, uh, I, I, I can't even describe what it looked like, but something else that I noticed is, um, <clears throat> we keep harping on the offense and rightfully so, because it is just putrid at this point. But something else I noticed against in the A&M game was as good as South Carolina's defense has been, particularly at least in that first third, first quarter of the season, um, you know, they, they got gashed on Saturday. And it's not the first time they've been gashed this year. And honestly, it, this is not an indictment on the defense because I think it's, it's no secret that when your offense can't sustain drives and your defense is on the field constantly, at some point, something's got to give. And as a defensive player, right or wrong, I, I, I don't want to say that they're giving up because they're not, but it's just kind of like we're damned if we do, damned if we don't at this point. So it's, it's hard to see a lot of fire and fight out of the defense when the offense can't sustain any drive. So I can't really blame them, but it's, it's going to go from bad to worse when previously our defense could keep us in games, but now they're not even there to do that. Uh, yeah. And, and the other thing is there sort of starts to become a, a domino effect where or a quicksand from the famous uh, movie, the replacements, what a cinematic masterpiece that movie is. Keanu Reeves' character, Shane Falco, talks about quicksand and how one thing goes wrong and then the next thing goes wrong and then the next thing goes wrong. And it, that is where we are as a team right now because, you know, you get an interception early in the game, can still be in it, offense does nothing. Uh, you know, you have a chance at a fumble there that I think the refs got wrong, you know, could have been a big turnaround moment. Don't get the call. So it just becomes this snowball punt return for a touchdown. Then it's just it, the wheels keep falling off quicksand. You're in quicksand. You're sinking, um, you know, and it's just, you know, it's frustrating uh, to watch as a football fan. It's frustrating to watch as a coach and, and, you know, certainly frustrating to be a part of as a player. So, you know, you, you kind of said it and I think you're accurate. You and I have seen some bad football teams in our day. Uh, at South Carolina, and um, I, 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 that was a performance that 
ranks up there as one of the worst. Um, and, you know, they have a bye week to figure some things out. But again, I am not trying to be flip it here or, or sarcastic even. I don't have any confidence in that, that these two weeks are going to be used to get anything right. I, I, I don't see anything that tells me that's going to happen. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, I will say on the bright side, if you want to call it a silver lining or the bright side, uh, Bill Conley, who I'm a big fan of, follow on Twitter yeah, and keep yeah. up with his SP plus rankings and everything else. Um, I don't know if you saw this other day and hopefully hopefully you didn't because I don't I want to hit you with a with a little bit of uh, trivia or a guesstimation here. But Conley did his his whole models on all of the, the remaining teams that were not yet bowl eligible, but still at least had a possible path to mm-hmm. six wins to get bowl eligible. You want to know what his model said South Carolina's chances are of getting to six wins and being bowl eligible percentage-wise? I'm going to say, so we're talking percentage? Uh, yeah. Lord, it's got to be low. Um, I'm going to go super rock bottom, under 5%, like 3%. That's a fair guess. And honestly, before I heard the answer, I went with 10% and I thought I was being very generous there. But the actual answer, 25%. He's saying that we've got a one in four chance of still getting bowl eligible. I don't see it. Right. I really don't see it at all. But um, hey, if you want to if you want to dive into those analytics, be my guest. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see the model and how he gets to that. Um, just because I haven't seen anything to suggest that. And really our schedule. I mean, Missouri has not had a good showing this season, but you still got, you know, Florida, uh, Auburn and Clemson to play along with them. So we got to win two out of the next four. And I don't know about that. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Moving into our regularly scheduled programming as, as they say on the TV sometimes, or they used to, uh, we're going to start off with the Clemson game. <clears throat> Florida state is at Clemson. We'll start off with the uh, Florida state offense. Interestingly enough, speaking of a team that needed a turnaround, Florida State started 0-4 this season and has been on a three-game winning streak. Uh, that includes wins versus Syracuse uh, and at UNC. So that's, you know, fairly decent wins. You know, I think they had a UMass win in there or something like that too, kind of a drubbing type situation. But, heck, in the way they are right now, that could have been a good confidence booster. They had lost to Jacksonville State early in the season. So, you know, they, they really needed some, some confidence there. Uh, Kenny... Dillingham is their uh, offensive coordinator, has sort of an Auburn-esque feel to his offense. Gus Malzahn, the Gus Bus type offense there, little shotgun-ish pistol. Um, you know, you got the quarterback involved in the running game. Jordan Travis is the third leading rusher on the team right now. So when you talk about what do we, you know, what what would I do as the offense coordinator here? I'm gonna I'm gonna attack the outer, you know, uh, the to end of the line of scrimmage to sideline with my quarterback and my running backs, hit some some old school zone reads, um, you know, stick it in for a quarterback power or, or even straight up midlines uh, option like they did with Cam Newton at Auburn back in the day. Because uh, Clemson, you know, Thomas, you've talked a lot about, and you will again, I'm sure, they're linebackers. They've got some hitters and some mashers but they don't really have a lot of sideline to sideline speed. So when I play Clemson, I'm attacking sideline to sideline, particularly hash marking out on the wide side of the field. That's where I'm taking most of my chances there. Um, They've been kind of a running back by committee 
Deshaun Corbin and Tyshawn uh, Ward have been the two main running backs there. Seen a lot there. They do also happen. This is another Auburn-esque thing about this offense. They throw a lot of balls to the tight end and to the running backs. A lot of balls to the tight ends and the running backs, which again, uh, that plays into Clemson's weakness, in my opinion, is they're, again, sideline to sideline speed. Make that, force that linebacker to come up and cover a swing route or cover a Y stick and throw it in behind him in between the safeties for a deep middle post or in um, is, is the game there. So, Thomas, what do you think Clemson's going to try and do here on defense to, to stop that? You know, and and quarterback Jordan Travis for um, for Florida State is a fantastic rusher. Yeah. Uh, you know, runs he, he's a true dual threat kind of guy. Honestly, I mean their their, their passing game is not that great, so he's he's no. not even really a true dual threat. He's almost an extension of their running game. But regardless, uh, you know, in every game since he's been the full time starter after McKenzie uh, Milton was getting a little work in mm-hmm. there. Um, Every game he's been the full-time starter, with the exception of UMass last week, he's rushed for over 100 yards every game, which is tremendous from a quarterback standpoint as long as he can stand up to that. So starting with him, you know, I'm, I'm putting a spy on him. I'm putting one of those linebackers on him that, as you just mentioned, don't have a lot of horizontal speed, which could be a problem for them. But I'm also going back to the show two weeks ago, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off of my typical Venables game plan, and I'm not blitzing that much. I agree. Because with with a running quarterback like that, if you go heavy blitz and they don't get home, then you're going to get screwed for a big chunk play there, right? You know, he's Absolutely. just going to get those yards. Um, again, as I mentioned, Florida State doesn't have a stellar passing game, and their wide receivers don't do well with man coverage. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to load the box, and I'm running press man with my corners. But outside of that – Pressing up on the line, I'm confident that a simple cover one is going to handle Florida State's wide receivers. But on those opportunities, when I do want to blitz, I'm going to bring A-gap pressure. I'm going to take advantage of Florida State has a little bit of a subpar O-line, kind of a revolving door there. Or I'm going to bring that cornerback from the slot and bring pressure over there. But the bottom line is, if you look at if you look at what how, how I'm going to defend this Florida State offense is, look at Wake Forest's game plan. Wake Forest, who beat Florida State 35-14 to and held Florida State to under 100 rushing yards, they left the corners in man and stacked the box to stop the run. And I think that's the recipe for success here. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, and you're exactly right. You know, I mentioned that the, the backs and the tight end are the um, the major pass catchers in this offense right now. And that's, that's kind of due to some limitations as a passer that Jordan Travis has. But, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things you, you got to keep the, the defense honest. So you got to take a deep shot every once in a while. You know, if, they, if they've got one safety deep, middle of the field playing that, that center fielder, you know, cover one robber type situation, then you got you to – they're daring you and you got to take that chance. And if you can complete them, that's going to be the difference in the game for Florida State, in my opinion. You take that chance. They're going to give it to you. Venables, I agree with you, Thomas, but – Venables loves nothing more than to throw a blitz at you. So oh, yeah. he's going to leave some guys on islands, which can lead to some busted coverages. And if Jordan Travis can complete those passes, that could easily be the difference in the game. Clemson's offensive plan, we've been over and over and over and, and where they are. Interesting, interesting news here. Kobe Pace out for this game because of COVID protocol. 
So they have lost yet another running back. Um, I think Will Shipley is is relatively healthy and will be the man to start the game. Honestly, Thomas, Clemson's offense may be as big or bigger of a mess than South Carolina. Like, uh, I don't know that you can make an argument that they're in a whole lot better situation. Um, they got guys making mistakes. They're ma- they're getting blown off the ball. You know, come November when South Carolina plays Clemson, we won't get ahead of ourselves tonight, but we that game might be just hard to watch. Um, a lot of field goals. A lot yeah, of field goals. It's going to be a 9-6 to six game or something, man. That's a rough. So, anyway, now, Thomas – Clemson's backup quarterback who played against Penn, you know and I know <laughs> that I don't stand a chance of saying this guy's name right. So do you have any idea how to say his last name? Oh, I got it. You, you don't even want to give it a shot here? No, 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 no. I'm not Because, man, it is, it is so far off the mark when you're looking at the spelling of it. But, yeah. um, and, and, in fact, I did look this up because I did not know this until I pulled out their media guide. But it is Pumachan. Yeah, I didn't. Nope. Mm-mm, I had never gotten that. <laughs> Pumachan and Ui Ungalale. Jesus, man alive. He did some things when he came in. I mean, I, here's the thing. DJ is just not showing you anything to be too excited about at this point. Um, there's nothing saying he's the guy. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, Dabo is uh, – okay, let's, let's just stop this right here. Dabo is not coaching for his job. Um, at least if he is, that's insane. Um, but, you know, this is not something that Clemson wants. You know, Clemson can't, you know, right now, what are they, four and three? Is that right? They're four and three? Yeah. They, you know, this team still plays Wake Forest. You know, like I said, Florida State's coming in with some momentum. This this is not a, a easy win out you know, call it an eight and four year and man, we got to rebuild and go forward. They got some work to do. And now while coach Sweeney may not be coaching for his job, coach Elliott could be, they go out there and, and lay a couple more, you know, just awful performances, stink bombs out there. He could be looking for a new job come uh, into the season. You know, honestly, Thomas, <laughs> I hate to say this, but you know, when I look at Clemson's offense, what's your game plan? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, like, I, what are you trying to establish at this point? One of their linemen I know is out. I mean, it's it's been a just – I mean, your basic is – this is what I've been saying about what South Carolina should be doing, in my opinion. What are your best three pass plays? When you're in this situation, as a staff, you sit down and you look, not at practice tape, at game tape. What passes have we completed and what runs have we had big games on? Okay, that's what we run. And we run it out of every bag we got, every formation we got. If you really want to throw a more emotion in there, great. But, like, find your six and run with it. Like, these, you know, and I've never coached college. I certainly didn't play college. But I do feel like sometimes these coaches – make it more complex than it has to be. I've, you know, you've heard stories. We, it happened at South Carolina, Steve Spurrier in that, in that Georgia game, the, the beat down in 2012, he called the same play six plays in a row because they <laughs> hadn't stopped it. So like on the other end of that, when you're having zero success, 
Stop trying to reach into your magic bag and find something. What are you good at? What have you done? Do that. And I mean, that would really be what I would tell Clemson if I was the offense coordinator. Me and my GAs and my analysts, we're sitting down and we're looking at every play of every game so far this season. And I'm saying anything that's plus five goes in the in the book as being an option. Anything else we take out. And, and it's just that simple. So what what's Clemson or what's Florida State gonna do to this Clemson offense that's sputtering? Yeah, and before I jump into that, I'll do you one better on the Spurrier. I also heard there was a um, – I don't remember what year it was, but South Carolina's played in East Carolina. And it might have been that game that Connor Shaw came in, I believe, for Garcia. But regardless, I know it was against East Carolina. South Carolina ran the same play 15 – 1-5, 15 yeah. times in a row. Absolutely. And, yeah, you're right. If you're not stopping it, keep running the thing. It is chess, but sometimes it can be checkers. Like, just just go out there. If they can't stop it, go out there and do it. And on the other end of things, do what you can do. So, you know, I don't want to derail us anymore. South Carolina, Mark Satterfield continues, continues to try and run the inside zone, and it ain't working. Stretch works. Pin and pull works. Use it. Yep. And speaking of speaking of sticking to things within your scheme and things that work for you, Florida State. So briefly, schematically, at defensive coordinator Adam Adam Fuller runs pretty much a traditional four three with a little four two five mixed in there. Um, when he does go four two five, he likes to use a linebacker safety hybrid. He calls that a stud. Now he does line this stud up typically to the field side. And as a refresher here, we talk boundary and field. The field side is the wide side of the field. So if offense is on one hash, it's going to be the wide side, whereas the boundary is the short side. He also uses a uh, what he calls a fox, which is a stand up defensive end who is really your edge setter. As opposed to that stud on the field side, he's going to put that fox on the boundary side, that short side. So you can put him on run stunts inside, can drop into coverage. But one of the things that's really unique here that that we see a lot all over college, but a lot of people don't really recognize it is he likes to use a lot of split field coverage. You and I have talked about that before where – you know, you're going to have man coverage on one side and zone on the other. And the problem for offenses there is a lot of offenses run their offense where they've got man beaters over here and zone beaters here. So it can create some conflict there for your offense. But particularly for this matchup here, and Florida State has been playing pretty well, as you mentioned, of late, has had a couple of three games, I believe, winning streak. But here, against this Clemson offense, who, who is struggling mightily all over the place, I'm going to be aggressive on early downs. I want to get the offense behind the sticks. One of the things that I think listeners should look out for if they're watching this game is a Texas stunt, which is a very basic defensive line stunt where that fox, that stand-up defensive end, is going to shoot inside, and your three-tech defensive lineman, three-tech being on the outside shoulder of the guard, he's going to loop around and go outside. So this, in addition to stunts on the front four here, I'm going to bring that stud, that linebacker safety hybrid on a field side, on a field side overload blitz. I want to disrupt that protection scheme. But another thing that you need to look out for here is, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, excuse me. I'm not respecting Clemson's passing game. So I'm going to load the box here. Bottom line. I want to be sneaky. I want to be sneaky with it. Florida State likes to operate out of that four-shell look, kind of like a cover four deep guys. Um, 
But when the ball snapped, they like to switch to a single high safety and roll one of those guys down into the box for run support. But overall, I think this defense could really give Clemson fits here. And one more thing that I want listeners to look out for, if you want an idea of what kind of coverage is coming pre-snap in this game, if you're watching Florida State, watch the cornerbacks. If it's man coverage, they're going to be pressed tight across the board at every wide receiver. That's going to be man coverage. But if they're running that cover four shell, zone coverage, the boundary cornerback is going to be pressed, man pressed up on that wide receiver where you've got your field cornerback, the opposite side is going to be playing off. So look for that a lot, but I really think they're going to hit them with a lot of overload blitzes here. You mentioned earlier Clemson center, their most experienced offensive lineman, Matt Bockhorst, is out with an ACL. They could really uh, give Clemson's offense some fits here. Absolutely. Uh, before I jump on that, uh, let me just say, for listeners, if you think you can get that type of knowledge on defensive football on any, any other podcast, you are crazy. That was some deep scouting by our man Thomas Bowen right there. You got something to look for on Saturdays with those how those corners are rolling. You can see it. You're sitting at a tailgate party. You're sitting at a game going, oh, man, they're rolling him. They're rolling him. That's what they're going to do. So, man, that, that was some good stuff there, Bowen. But I agree with you. Clemson, Clemson's given you nothing to – if you're Florida State, they've given you nothing to respect. They've given you nothing to be worried about. This is not the Clemson of the past five, seven years where you got to think about this guy or that guy. They haven't shown you anything. Even if a guy runs free, they haven't shown you they can complete that ball. And until they do – Go for it. It's 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 breakneck speed and get after them. Because here's the thing: Florida State don't have anything to lose. Florida State, you know, they're going into Clemson. They're a ten point uh, favorite. Clemson's the uh, Clemson's the the minus ten here, and you're you're three and four going in. You know, you don't have any. This is your bowl game. This is your. I mean, it's not to say you're mathematically eliminated, but this is a big game for you, and this could hopefully get your fans and your boosters back on your side. So with all that being said, Thomas, in this game, who do you got? I, I I think Clemson wins, but I don't think they cover the 10-point spread. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I'm really interested to see, first of all, I, I'm assuming Puma Chan's going to be starting. I don't know. Like you said, he did some good things last week. But uh, I'll really be interested to see, honestly, if they're going to roll with Puma Chan, this is the best game to do it at home under your own lights. Uh, but yeah, I think Clemson's gonna gonna take this one, but it's it's gonna be another ugly one. Yeah, gotcha. I agree with you. All right, we're gonna move in to Georgia and Florida, the game formerly known as the big world's biggest outdoor cocktail party. They won't let you call that anymore, but we're not affiliated with anybody but ourselves, so we can call it that. Um, Georgia is considered the road team here, so we're gonna start off on their offensive side of the ball. Before we jump into any schematics or anything like that, Thomas, I mean, this is just a true on. This is not a rhetorical question. How on earth, this is a serious question, are they doing this? Georgia's <laughs> offense, like, should not be doing what it's doing right now, and they are. Like, Stinson Bennett, we joke about him, I joke about him. This is <laughs> this, this guy's 5'11", 195 pounds, and and doing the job right now for the Georgia Bulldogs, like like he's 6'3", 225. Like this, it blows my mind because I'm watching it. It's, it's just good team, good football. This is the old Alabama. This is the old Alabama of Nick Saban's beginning of his dynasty. Run the football. Don't turn it over. Play unreal defense. And so one of the things I had on my notes here – 
was I said, be the 2000 Ravens. Don't turn the ball over. You know, if you can get points, you know, if it's a field goal situation, it's fourth and two, get the points. Don't, don't, you know, your defense can handle it. That's not a problem. That's not the issue, but you're, you're, you might come up short in some game. You're going to come up short on points because this offense just isn't, it's like smoking mirrors. I don't understand it, but these are points. My biggest thing would be, and I say this a lot, keep on schedule on down and distance, you know, for folks that may be new to the show, when we say that, what we mean is when you're saying you're on schedule first and 10, you don't want any negative plays. You can't have second and 12, second and 13, third and 13. By the time you get to third down, it really needs to be a third and seven or shorter to stay on schedule and, and keep your quarterback in a good position there. Um, keep blocking well up front. And most of all, don't turn the ball over. So what's Florida going to try and do to Georgia um, third and Grantham, uh, defensive coordinator. <laughs> how are they going to try and stop these Bulldogs? All right. If regardless of what happens this weekend and and for the rest of the season, if Dan Mullen sticks to his guns and keeps third and Grantham around, I don't know how much longer Dan Mullen's going to last in Gainesville. Let's just be honest. Valid, valid. And, and I don't know. I don't know if Grantham has some. Blackmail photos on Mullen, <laughs> but man, he has been loyal to a fault. But here, you know, this is Georgia just just gets stronger as the season goes on. So every time you ask me how is X defense, how are they going to defend Georgia? It's like what, what does it matter? You right. know, Georgia's still going to get theirs. Um, but if if I've got to be the DC here, you know, look looking at Florida's defense. Their linebackers are, are not really good at taking on blocks. Yeah. So if I'm DC here, if I'm Grantham, I want my front three to eat up blocks and keep those linebackers free. But speaking of those linebackers, and I, I think I've mentioned this very earlier in this season when we did a Florida game, Grantham is notorious for playing his linebackers too far inside. Yep. So I'm going to spread those out because you, you know if, if you've watched any Georgia this year – that those perimeter pass plays and that quick pitch out of the backfield, that will just murder you. I mean, if, if you've got those linebackers sucked inside and they're anchored there with their feet in cement, Georgia's going to quick pitch and screen them to death. Mm -hmm. But I really think Florida has the talent to play press man. So I'm going to press early. Uh, I'm going to get really tight on those bunch formations that I think uh, George is going to try to hit them with, especially because Grantham is also notorious for having his guys off on those bunch formations and they get eaten up with that. But honestly, man, if, if I'm Florida uh, defensive coordinator, I'm just going to make sure that Grantham stays home this Saturday and doesn't come <laughs> to the game. Lock him in the locker room. Say, say, Coach, why don't you uh, go take a, a last pee break and, and lock that door? Uh, <laughs> exactly. keep, keep him in there. Um, I mean, and I agree with you. I mean, the only thing I think you can do if you're Florida here, make Stinson Benton beat you, Bennett beat you. I mean, I, I guess that's your your only option, but they are probably not going to be in that situation. All right, Florida's offense. We've talked about them already. You mentioned Dan Mullen. You know, he – and Urban Meyer and Rich Rod are kind of the, the, the founding fathers of this spread power option. You know, Tim Tebow being the most famous example of his time at Florida and, um, you know, the like, of course, Ohio State with um, JT Barrett and, and their guys over with Urban, um, you know, really 
did some great things, Pat White and, and Rich Rod in, in West Virginia. But anyway, this is an offense that can be difficult to defend for sure for the average mortal defense. But right now they're not having a whole lot of success on offense either. I feel like that's a, a trend in SEC East football, like just not great, great offenses. Um, but if I'm Dan, for that very reason, you're playing number one, Georgia, you are not ranked. The fire has never been hotter underneath your seat in Gainesville. I'm pulling out all the stops. We're getting tricky. We're taking risks. We're, you know, cause you know, here's the thing. Well, I don't even know what Georgia's margin of victory has been lately, but it's been 20 or more points. You might as well take your shots. Fourth and one, go get a touch, try for a touchdown. Hit that early reverse, the double reverse pass. Hell, try an onside kick. Just you, It's time to get creative here because this for, for Florida, Florida will probably play in a bowl game. Let's be honest. They'll probably play in a bowl game. But – this is your championship. This is your SEC championship that you're not going to make it to this year. And, you know, you, you, you go in and you, and they're playing in Jacksonville like they have done for the past several years and you ruin Georgia's, well, potentially ruin, they wouldn't necessarily be out of it, ruin Georgia's season, at least their chance of going undefeated. They might, that might save your job right there, Dan Mullen. And so you got to throw all the stops. Talk about what this mammoth Georgia defense is going to do here. Well, you know, they don't have to do a whole lot. Honestly, I think uh, you could give me the play call sheet. And after you explained all the terminology to me, I could probably call up a pretty good game here. But, um, you know, all respect to to Dan Mullen. He's always been a very creative and crafty play caller um, all the way back to his Tim Tebow days, Dak Prescott at Mississippi State and all those guys. So looking, I, I really look at this as what does Mullen like to do very, and what does he do well? Mullen likes to utilize a lot of rub routes and pick plays where you've literally, you're really literally setting screens on guys and knocking them off to get a free running wide receiver. So to combat this, and I'm, I'm going to bring us a new term here, I'm going to utilize a lot of banjo coverage. Ooh. And when we talk about banjo coverage, you're, what, what we really mean here is it allows two defenders to switch who they're covering. If you think about it from, from a basketball mindset, you know, where people do pick and rolls and you have to switch men on that. So if some, if, if one guy gets picked, you've got to switch on that guy. Put another way, banjo coverage is man coverage, but it plays like zone coverage. Yep, yep, yep. So I'm going to run a lot of banjo coverage to combat those rub routes and pick plays. Another thing that I'm going to do here is I'm going to use – what I simply like to call regular depth blitzes. If you watch Georgia, they love to to take Tyndall and Nicobe Dean and and walk them up into a gap pre-snap and blitz right there from on the line. Florida's got a good offensive line. They can handle blitzes well when they know what's coming, but they struggle with more what I would call hidden blitzes like this, where you're blitzing from where you're set back in that zone. Um. Also, you got to set and maintain the edge here. 
We Mullen, of course, is being a little cagey about things, whether it's Emory Jones or, or, right. or Richardson is starting. I think it's probably going to be Richardson because, again, you said pulling out all the stops here, and Richardson gives them the best chance to win here. Of course, Richardson is a much better runner than Emory Jones is. So I got to set and maintain the edge, particularly if Richardson's playing. Mullen likes to use Richardson in a, a, a sort of a play-action RPO bootleg, which gives him gets him out in space and gives him the option to run or throw it. But I want my edges looking for this. I don't want them biting on the fake, and I want to force Richardson to throw it because he's not that good of a thrower. But, I mean, speaking of running quarterbacks – um, as much of a running threat as Richardson is, if you look at Georgia's defense this year, probably the best true dual threat quarterback they face is maybe Bo Nix. Would you agree? Yeah, most likely. Yeah, yeah, and and they held Bo Nix to uh, to minus sixteen rushing yards. Strong. Uh, held DJ in the Clemson game to minus twenty two. Yeah, and then our man Luke Doty with one rushing yard. My man. That's right. You got that positive, boys. Yeah. So really, they just gotta they just gotta keep Richardson contained and otherwise just let the big dogs eat. I hear you. Now, Thomas, so that you know, that kind of leads to a natural natural question here to me. Real quick, before we move to our next game of the week, Michigan, Michigan State. I think at this point in the season, we've seen enough that we can ask this question. How how good is this Georgia defense when we think historically? You know, I'll be honest, to me, the first historically good off defense I think of when I think of college football, and this is me, I'm, you know, 38 years old, born in 1983, so all you old hats talking about the 70s, this, that, and the other, that's before my time. The first one I think of is the 2001 Miami Hurricanes, and that was Ed Reed's team and Jonathan Vilma's team. Ended up having 21 future draft picks on the two-deep chart there. Won three games by shutout. Average 9.8 points given up a game. Holy cow, that's some dominance. I mean, Thomas, where, where do you put this group? Well, you know, I mean, statistically, looking at numbers, you got to say that, that Georgia is, is better than that 2001 Miami defense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it a step further in that – why don't we look at the 1985 Bears? Whoa, wow, wow. He's Let's speaking there. sacrilege, folks. He's going <laughs> deep here. Now, I am, I am certainly not saying right now that, that this Georgia defense definitively is better than, uh, honestly, than any NFL defense. I'm not one of those people. But when you just look at the sheer magnitude of the numbers they're doing, that Bears defense only gave up 12.4 points a game, but they also had 64 sacks on the year and for 64 turnovers which is insane but the Georgia defense it's just I mean I would say better than the 2011 uh, yeah the 2011 Bama defense which if you remember that defense that was they they lost to LSU in that six to three regular season game. Ended yep. up beating them twenty one to nothing in the BCS title game. But even that twenty eleven Bama defense allowed eight point two points a game. Did did best this Georgia defense on total yards in game and gave up under two hundred yards a game at one eighty four. But I mean, I really think that yeah, this this is definitely 
I'm going to say that this is the best college defense of the 2000s. How about that? That's fair. And, I mean, the only other defense I think you brought up 2011 and Bama, which is a great, great comparison. I don't know if you remember back to this team, but the 97 Michigan Wolverines. We're about to talk about Michigan here in a second, so it's a good little segue. This was Charles Woodson's defense that he ended up winning the Heisman that year. They were unstoppable as a defense. Um, I think they had three-ish shutouts that season, gave up under 10 points a game. The, the thing about it is at the end of the day, I'm an offensive guy. So at the end of the day, I'm thinking solely about points you've given up. I, I honestly don't care. You can, you can give up five, 600 yards a game for all I care. Sure. If they're not giving up, if, you don't, if they're not scoring, I'm good with it. And Absolutely. this thing of Georgia, they're averaging giving up 6.6 points a game, less than a touchdown. And let me read you their remaining schedule. Of course, Florida this week. At home for Missouri. Good yeah. God. <laughs> in Knoxville for Tennessee. Now we know that offense can can get rolling and do some things. I'm excited. Uh, that's going to be a game of the week for sure. Most likely, absolutely. Then uh, Charleston Southern. Everybody remembers when Charleston Southern came to Columbia a couple years <laughs> back. Uh, so that could be ugly. And then at Georgia Tech, and let's just be honest, Tech hadn't shown a whole lot. So there's nothing other than that Tennessee game that's going to really make me think, oh, okay, this this percentage or this uh, points allowed per, se- per game is going to skyrocket. They may come in finishing the regular season at a touchdown or less per game given up. That's insane. This exactly. is 2021. This is spread football, RPO all the rules in favor of the offense, you know, can't sneeze on an offensive player without getting a penalty. And they're doing that. That's crazy. So Thomas, I think it's basically a rhetorical question at this point. When I ask you who you got, I think we both got Georgia big here, don't we? Georgia big. Yeah. I'm looking like uh, I think Florida's good for maybe 10 points. This is going to be like a 37, 10 type of game. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a blowout just for anybody wondering why didn't they pick Auburn Ole Miss? We had just talked about Ole Miss. So like we didn't, we want to be too much on the lane train there, but all right. Um, so we're going to talk now about Michigan, Michigan state, big 10 football. So Michigan's the road team. We'll start off with their offense before we jump into that. Big rivalry game here, top 10 matchup between the Spartans and the Wolverines. Huge game here. Thomas, that leads me to, again, another true question. Why does Big Ten football play their their big games at noon? What what is that? I think think it's just because they don't really know how to tailgate like people in the South do. So what does it matter? Fair. I'm with you. We're going to go with that. We're going to go with that for sure. Um, But, you know, it's also – it it is kind of a travesty this year because for the first time since LBJ was president and Vietnam was raging, the battle for Paul Bunyan – the trophy that is this game yeah. features two top 10 teams, which is phenomenal. Vietnam. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, that is crazy. But I, I just, that dawned on me when I was looking at different things about the game. I was like, this is a 12 o'clock kick. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so anyway, Michigan's offensive coordinator, new guy here, Josh Gates, Gats, I think is how I say his name or Gattis, excuse me, Gattis um, played, played wide receiver at Wake Forest. I remember him playing at Wake came from Alabama to Michigan in 2019. So this isn't his first year. So I really like his offense. One of his big, it's a hashtag he uses, speed in space, speed in space. He wants to get his playmakers the ball in space. And they go fast, no huddle, fast pace, pretty heavily RPO, um, which we can talk at another time about this, but pretty heavy RPO. Um, Their leading rusher, Blake 
Corin is averaging 6.3 yards a carry. It has 10 touchdowns. Their next um, player with, uh, you know, actually has more carries than him, but has less yards than him. Uh, Hassan Haskins is also got 10 rushing touchdowns on a few more carries, as I mentioned. Cade, um, is it, what is it? McNora? McNamara. McNamara. That is bad. I apologize. I should have gotten that. McNamara. That is a common Mac name. I am. Go back, go back and rewatch the movie 13 Days and you'll get some. Exactly. McNamara. Oh, my goodness. My bad there. Done a good job spreading the ball around. Got multiple wide receivers with double digit receptions. Um, again, it's all about getting their, their, their playmakers the ball in space. Michigan State, and you're going to get more into this, Thomas, is a 4 2 5 team. When I'm an offense playing a 4 2 5 team, I want to attack. From the yard, from the line of scrimmage to about seven, eight yards, really, and I want to attack hash mark out. Particularly, you just talked about boundary and field. Particularly to the field side, I think your biggest advantage there is you. I know you have a third guy who's kind of a hybrid linebacker. They can bring him up. I just feel like that's where your advantage is when I'm doing that. Way back several episodes ago, the first ever slightly above average football episode I had was with Jeff Barnes, a former Gamecock offensive lineman, coach at Hammond now. He talked about one of the things he likes to look at as an offensive guy is if you split the field in half through the center's nose. There's 11 players, right? One side's going to have six. One side's going to have five. Pretty much inevitable, particularly because no one plays a true nose nowadays. Go to that five side, count them, go to that five side. And it really can be as simple as that. But in this situation, if I'm Michigan, I'm attacking sideline area, hash mark to sideline, and I'm going line of scrimmage up to uh, out to the hash marks and to the sideline. That's where I'm playing Y stick, curl routes, um, hitting that outside power move and things of that nature. So Thomas, what are you going to do to combat me attacking what I think is the weak area of yours, of your defense? You're absolutely right. It is a weak area, but before I get into that, one of the things I thought was really interesting here. So defense is the coordinator, Scotty Hazleton um, from Michigan state. I've never heard this before. When I pulled this up, he, he is not only listed as a defensive coordinator, he's listed as the Secchia family defensive coordinator. Yeah. This is this is Michigan State's and maybe maybe the only college or university in the country that has this the first endowed coaching position. No, Michigan has it too. Michigan really? has it too. Yeah, they're because their offensive coordinator has that and their defensive coordinator. This must be a either a Big Ten thing or a Michigan State of Michigan thing. Michigan had it too. I, I noticed it. I didn't know what it was, but they had like a two name. You know, yeah, that definitely an endowed position. It's, it's weird, but I know if, and, and this is probably because I don't have enough money to make an endowment. So I don't understand how they work, but uh, I don't really think I want uh, a family's name tied to any of my coordinator positions. Cause I don't want them having any say so who I hire in that. Yeah. Position. It just seems dangerous. Seems weird. dangerous. Weird. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So as you mentioned, four, two, five defense here, um, really a, a little bit of a departure statistically and kind of how they play things from the days of D'Antonio whenever he was there and running those shutdown defenses. But they're still a good defense, leading the Big Ten in sacks with about three and a half a game. Um, so how I'm defending here, you know, Michigan, Michigan's leading the Big Ten in rushing, as you mentioned. They're, they're, they're crushing it, averaging five and a half yards a carry. 
Um, I think this is going to be really a slugfest here because Michigan being the running team that they are, Michigan State is only allowing about 120 rush yards a game, 3.3 yards a carry. But the, the bulk of the rushing yards that Michigan State has given up has been on the edges. You mentioned earlier about hitting the middle of the field and attacking those linebackers. Michigan State's linebackers are horizontally slow. They're not good at getting sideline to sideline, kind of like we mentioned earlier with some of Clemson's linebackers. So to combat this, I'm going to bring, I'm going to stunt my defensive line very often. I'm going to aggressively play the linebackers downhill. But the problem is when you've got those linebackers coming downhill with a head of steam like that, they're very vulnerable to those counters and misdirections. But basically, I've got to get pressure and not allow Michigan to pass on me. Michigan State is dead last in the Big Ten in passing defense, giving up just shy of 300 yards a game. So I really want to rely on my front six or seven to control the line of scrimmage and stop that Michigan running game. Otherwise, I'm going to sit and cover two all day because I know that my cornerbacks suck. Again, gone are the days of the D'Antonio the D'Antonio defenses at Michigan State where he would leave cornerbacks on the islands all game. So they've really got to stuff that run and not let them beat them with a pass. I hear you. So I, I went back and looked. The Michigan – and I think the defensive coordinators like this too. Josh Gaddis is the Sanford Robinson offensive coordinator. What the – I don't understand it. It just seems dangerous. Weird, but Thomas, man. if I promise you if either one of us ever wins the lottery – the offensive coordinator at South Carolina will be the <laughs> family offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator will be the Bowen family one. I promise you that. that uh, we just happen. keep that one up for you. Yeah, that, that will happen. All right, Michigan State's offensive plan. Mel Tucker, this is not necessarily offensive related. He's a defensive coach. Mel Tucker, I saw an article on ESPN.com. I want to make sure I give the correct uh, citation there about how he may have used his pro experience to master the uh, transfer, tra- transfer portal this year. And it's a very free agent-esque. He spent 10 years in the pros, and they had a great article about how he could have parlayed his experience in the NFL with building a team or being involved with building a team through free agency and the draft and whatnot. Really, he talked about that it wasn't just about compiling great players. It was about compiling a group of players that would work well together, and that that was something he learned during his time in the NFL. Just because you're the best wide receiver doesn't mean you're the best wide receiver for our team. So I thought that was really interesting, which brings me to his one of his most uh, successful transfer portal players and the best running back or the, at least the highest yards in college, uh, top-level college football right now, uh, Kenneth Walker the third. He has nine... Uh, he has 997 yards rushing, you know, barring something completely insane. will crack the thousand yard rushing mark, maybe on his very first carry of the game here against the Wolverines. <clears throat> I'm leading on him. I am completely riding him to victory. They like to use multiple formations here. They will get in under. They like a lot of pistol, lot of pistol. Really a lot of pistol and that pistol offset for anybody, again, who's new the pistol. If you think about the shotgun formation, you're probably more familiar with that. In that situation, the quarterbacks, I don't know, five to seven ish yards behind the line of scrimmage and they're going to snap it to him in the pistol. He's a little closer and usually has a back 
behind him. And, in, and they like to do this and sometimes a back to his left or his right in sort of an eye formation, extended eye formation. Do a lot of good there. Zone scheme, they'll use that insert blocker. Could be that back offset. Could be a tight end folding in, whatever the scheme calls for there. Um, but Jay Johnson is their offense coordinator. Like I said, he leans on the run, but their their quarterback is a capable passer. Peyton Thorne, a sophomore, um, he is 38th in the nation right now in passing yards, has 15 touchdowns against four interceptions. Efficiency is the name of the game here. When you've got Kenneth Walker at uh, at running back, you need to be able to get him the ball. And so that's, the you know, his job there is, you know, again, stay on schedule, keep it in situations where you can use the running back. This guy's a he's he's a really good good back. I feel like he's not getting enough hype for the Heisman. This could be his game, his Heisman moment game that those Heisman guys always seem to have. If he can come out on national television, top ten matchup, rivalry matchup, everybody's watching on Fox, you know, against Michigan. I think this could be his moment to, to jump some folks there. What's what's uh, Michigan going to do to try and stop this? Yeah, so, and as you mentioned, KW3, the dude is legit. He's also my RB1 on our on my fantasy team in our league, so uh, I always want him to do well. But defensive coordinator Mike McDonald for Michigan, formerly Ravens linebacker coach, very blitz-heavy, aggressive, multiple fronts. But looking at this game, you, you know, if you, if you look statistically at some of the earlier games, um, Michigan State uh, against – Probably the two above average defensive fronts that they faced, I'd say Indiana and Nebraska, their run game has struggled. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Indiana was last week. Um, I think their rushing yards were only about 2.6 yards per carry in those games. So, you know, Michigan State, Michigan State doesn't get a big push up front with that zone blocking scheme that they run, which causes causes them to struggle to reach the second and third level blocks to get to those linebackers to really extend those running plays out. So really coming in this game is I want my defensive line to eat blocks and win the line of scrimmage. I want those linebackers to be free to fill gaps. Kenneth Walker is a very, very patient runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely not comparing him, but he, he reminds me a lot of uh, Marcus Lattimore and how yeah. patient he is and how much he lets blocks develop and he sees things really, really well. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be very patient. Keep those linebackers back. Um, also, you know, as you mentioned, Thorne, quarterback Thorne, he's, he's been a little inefficient in the short to intermediate passing game. So I want to get good pressure at the line of scrimmage without bringing a lot of extra men, allow my secondary to keep everything in front and slow down the play action passes. One of the things that I think will be interesting here is, you know, defensive end Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan, leading the Big Ten in sacks with six. This guy is phenomenal, can play almost anywhere up front, He's been mentioned as possibly the best run defender in the 2022 draft. This guy is legit. He's going to be an X factor in this game. Uh, Michigan also look for, this is a little interesting. Sometimes they like to roll out what is essentially a five, one, five defense. And I I think, I think they're going to feast this week. You're going to see a lot of those five, one, five looks to shut down that running game. Uh, They'll run that five, one, five with just a cover two or four cover four on the back end and force Michigan State's offense into mistakes. But finally, I'm really – I'm not – again, I'm not going to blitz. I'm not going to blitz that much. 
Uh, Michigan State's offensive line is a little below average. I really think four or five-man rushes are going to get home often. Keep the linebackers patient. Don't bite on those fakes. And finally is find the running back on third and long because they are going to run a screen. They're going to try to hit you with screens and get Kenneth Walker into space. But really, I think this game could come down to that X factor, defensive end Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan against Kenneth Walker on the edges. It's going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to be a good ball game. Um, I think a part of why I'm upset it's at 12 is like, you know, there's just going to be, you know, it's the beginning of the day. You usually have a lot going on. I can't get settled in like I usually do for a seven o'clock kick, but um, it'll be good ball. Uh, I, you know, this one of any of the games we're call, we're, we were talking about this week under our who you got section here, this is a tough one to call. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, Michigan State is getting, if I'm remembering right, getting points, right? Yeah, they're yeah, four and a half at least earlier in the week. Yeah. yeah. And they're at home, which, you know, you don't usually see. I'm, I, I guess it's an upset. Uh, I, I'm going Michigan State here anytime. To me, it's just the old school version of football. I'm going to go with the team I'm the most confident in the ability to run the ball. And that's Michigan State. I understand what you're saying about who they played against and where they struggled. And so I could be dead wrong because they haven't played. You know, here comes Michigan with Hutchinson and and his line, and they may shut him down. But from what I'm seeing, and I just – and I think it's going to be close. I'm not calling a blowout. I'm calling a field goal. I'm calling something like that. This feels like a game, Thomas, that could actually be one of those heartbreak games where, you know, one of these teams could be driving for a, a game-winning or tying field goal, and there's a fumble. Like, it's just it, – it's going to feel like, you know, that end of the game, everybody's tight, and all of a sudden somebody screws up or a bounce off a hand ends up in a linebacker's mitts. Something like that is going to re- really feel like that could happen in this game. What are you thinking? Yeah, I've, I got to go with Michigan State here, too. I, I think that if – if this game was at Michigan, I might would give them the edge here. But I think again, Kenneth Walker is just is just playing out of his mind right now. And again, this is his Heisman moment. This is the day where he makes a lot of money as well. So I'm going to give the edge to Michigan State here. But I can't. I, it's been a long time since I've been this excited about a Big Ten game. So I agree with you there, man. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I was going. I'd play a little head games if I'm Mel Tucker. You know, the Browns play on Thursday night. Uh, Jadavion Clowney's not going to be doing anything Saturday. Fly him up to Michigan. Let him stand on your sidelines just to intimidate. Oh, man. Keep showing that hit over and over again in the stands, Um, you know, just for fun. Um, That's just me being a Gamecock and trying to remember better days. Um, Yeah, and it's it's Halloween weekend, so so put a a pumpkin on his head. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to us. We are the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast at SAA football fan at SAA football fan on Twitter and on Instagram, Facebook. We are simply the slightly above average football fan podcast page, download, subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next week. Bowen, it's going to be a great Saturday of football. Absolutely. Michigan, be careful. Clowny coming. See ya. (laughs)